Hello, and welcome to Coaster Kings Radio. I'm Ian O'Donnell, and today we continue our ongoing mini-sode series, The Regional Park Story. By the time of Kings Island's opening, Theme Park Mania was in full swing, and Randall Duell's firm was busy with projects as local businesses and personalities sought to bring some theme park magic to their local communities. One of the most influential parks to open during this rush would be Opryland USA in Nashville, Tennessee. The Grand Old Opry is a long-standing live country music radio show and had been broadcasting from the Ryman Auditorium since 1943. But by the late 1960s, the auditorium, which itself was a repurposed church, was becoming inadequate in accommodating the large live audiences as well as more contemporary performance, recording, and broadcasting needs of the program. On a 1969 trip to the Astrodome, the Opry's president, Irving Way, was inspired by the presence of the Astroworld Park and felt the theme park would be the perfect companion to a new auditorium for the Opry. The new Opryland complex was announced in 1969 and included the new Grand Ole Opry House, Opryland Hotel, and Opryland USA. While the Opry was specifically and quite aggressively centered on country music, Opryland was developed around the theme of American music. The park opened in 1972, two years before the new Opry House, and was billed as a show park versus a theme park, with musical shows and venues throughout its four original themed areas, Hill Country, New Orleans, American West, and Music of Today. Opryland also wisely chose to include some classic theme park rides, including an Arrow Flume, the Dulcimer Splash, Antique Car Ride, Tin Lizzie's, and Mine Train, the Tree Topper, in the park's tight dual-loop design. Upon its opening, Opryland was a big success. While Nashville itself wasn't the largest market, Opryland found that it actually held a significant market in the southeastern United States. Nashville is about equidistance from Kings Island, Six Flags St. Louis, Six Flags Over Georgia, and eventually Carowinds, so Opryland became the closest park for many beyond Tennessee. The park's focus on live entertainment also proved popular and would go on to influence other parks to integrate higher quality shows and show venues into their parks. By 1977, Opryland was the most successful and popular tourist attraction in Nashville, and the Opryland Hotel would open to accommodate visitors to the park and the Grand Old Opry. In 1983, the property and the Opry itself were acquired by Gaylord Broadcasting Company, who continued to expand the park and hotel. Despite increased competition from Dolly Parton's 1986 transformation of Pigeon Forge's Silver Dollar City to Dollywood, and Kentucky Kingdom, which successfully reopened in 1989 in Louisville, Kentucky, Opryland proved to be profitable and successful. However, due to the park's restricted land and the desire of the Gaylord Group for an increased return on investments, the decision was made in 1997 to replace the park with the Opry Mill Shopping Mall. Like Astroworld, it is still warmly remembered by the Nashville, and with the city's rapid growth in recent years, it is sad that the city is without a major theme park. The following year of 1973 would bring two additional parks to smaller markets, both led by businessmen in the mold of Angus G. Wynn and designed by Duell & Associates. The development of Carowinds was led by Earl Patterson Hall, a Charlotte, North Carolina businessman who sought to bring North and South Carolina together with a theme park and entertainment complex that straddled the state line. The park centered on Carolina history and very much was molded in the vein of a Six Flags Park, of which Over Georgia was going to be its primary competition. The park's original themed areas consisted of contemporary Carolinas, country crossroads, frontier outpost, Indian thicket, 
Pirate Island, Plantation Square, and Queen's Colony, with the park's main attractions being the 262-foot-tall or 80-meter-tall Intamin Sky Tower, contemporary and antique arrow car rides, the Carolina Gold Rusher, arrow mine train, and powder keg arrow log flume. While well-received, Heroin struggled to achieve the high attendance numbers its costly development justified. Most accounts blamed the 1973 oil crisis for Carowind's lagging attendance. The distance from a major urban area, Charlotte's population in 1973 was a mere 300,000, compared to Atlanta's 1.3 million and even Nashville's 470,000, meant that Carowind's was far more reliant on visitors from outside the Charlotte metro area, and especially susceptible to gas prices. I also suspect Six Flags Over Georgia's unveiling of the PTC Great American Screen Machine in 1973 couldn't have helped in making the new park competitive with one that offered most of Carowind's attractions already, plus a major new wooden roller coaster. After another season of struggle, the park was managed and eventually acquired by King's Entertainment Company, the subsidiary of Taft Broadcasting developed to run their theme parks, which set to work making the park more competitive. King's Entertainment, or Kiko, was quickly able to take their rides-first philosophy they learned from King's Island and apply it to the struggling park. 1975 saw the addition of the popular Hanna-Barbera characters alongside the Scooby-Doo wooden junior roller coaster, followed in 1976 by a double-tracked PTC wooden coaster, Thunder Road. In 1977, the park would unveil one of the world's first modern launch coasters with the Schwarzkopf shuttle loop White Lightning and would end the decade with the first quad-looping roller coaster in the world, the Aero Custom Looper Carolina Cyclone, in 1980. While the park never reached the success of Kings Island or even Kings Dominion, Kiko's consistent investment in the park allowed it to remain a profitable enterprise, which has seen rapid expansion in recent years under Cedar Fair. Another dual-designed park would open in 1973, this time as an explicit gift to the city it was constructed to serve. In 1963, Lamar Hunt brought his Dallas Texans NFL team to Kansas City, Missouri, and renamed the franchise the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs proved very successful in their new home, and Hunt moved on to other business ventures, including real estate and industrial development under his Mid-America Enterprises. Hunt and his business partner, Jack Stedman, described the development of Worlds of Fun as a gift to the people of Kansas City. Similar to Carowinds, original plans called for an expansive entertainment and shopping complex, which never came to fruition. But the dual-designed park opened in 1973 and quickly became a beloved institution. Loosely themed to Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days, Worlds of Fun opened with five themed areas, Americana, Europa, Africa, Scandinavia, and Orient. Randall Duell, who began his career as a set designer at MGM Studios, also had the unique opportunity to work with some fellow MGM alums, in this case, three boats and other movie props that Jack Stebman acquired during the famous 1970 MGM studio auction, which were integrated into the park's design. Anchor attractions consisted of the Viking Voyager Aero Flume, Le Taxi Tour Antique Car Ride, and two roller coasters by German manufacturer Schwarzkopf, the compact Wildcat model Shush Boomer, and the sprawling custom jumbo jet model Zambezi Zinger. Unlike Carowinds, Worlds of Fun was explicitly designed to serve its local city, which had a population of a little over 1 million in 1973. And while the oil crisis did impact the park's planned expansions, the park's attendance started and remained strong. The park would move forward with consistent expansions, notably one of the Midwest's first looping roller coasters in 1976 with the Arrow Corkscrew Scream Roller, 
the mega custom arrow looper Orient Express in 1980, and the well-regarded Dinwoody Timberwolf in 1989. The park was acquired by Cedar Fair in 1995, and while their tenure at the park has been controversial, the park remains one of the best-scaled regional parks for the metro area it resides in. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this mini-episode, please leave a comment or rating wherever you are listening. You can find interesting articles, exclusive updates, and a range of theme park-related merchandise at thecoasterkings.com. For Coaster Kings Radio, this is Ian O'Donnell. Join me next week as we continue exploring the regional park story. And sing with the mountaineers and reminisce plantation years. See the first holiday dance with the Cherokee and caper with pirates at sea. Carol wins. It's a magic breeze. Let the breeze.